Acts chapter 14, and let's just read from verse 19. It says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Abed, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we <clears throat> thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come around your word. We pray you bless our time as we continue our study in the book of Acts. Lord, I pray you give me wisdom and guidance now as I preach. Lord, it be your words, your thoughts. Lord, you would take your word this morning and apply it to our hearts and our lives. And may we leave this place knowing that we'll be in your presence and singing praise and glory and honor back unto you. Lord, may you bless this time now and be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Paul's first missionary journey comes to a conclusion here, if you like, in the city of Derby. Uh, verse 20 there, as we just read, it says, Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they preached the, the gospel to that city and the taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So if you like, the, the city of Derby is the last place they minister before they turn around and head home. If you remember last time, um, they just come from the city of Lystra. Okay? And in the city of Lystra, Paul had been stoned uh, to death by the men of the city and dragged outside. They believed he was dead. As we said last week, we can't be sure whether he actually was dead or whether he was just badly injured. But either way, the Lord did a, a miracle and healed Paul. He rises up, goes back into the city of Lystra. And then the next day, he goes straight back to the work and travels with Barnabas to the city of Derby. We're told here that uh, Paul and Barnabas, once again, as they had in every other city beforehand, they minister, they preach the gospel, and they teach the people. They make disciples. You know, we read nothing here about any opposition in the city of Derby. We don't read about any persecution taking place. And so we assume that the word of God is well received in this last city, the city of Derby. Um, and we don't know how long they stay here in this city, but it's following this stop, this place of ministry, that they now turn and begin a return journey, if you like. And they visit each of the cities that they've already ministered in. Okay? It says there in verse 21, uh, and they, sorry, it says, and when they had preached the gospel of that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So they go back to Lystra, the very city that Paul had just been stoned in. Then they go to Iconium, where Paul had been threatened with stoning and chased out of the city. And then finally they come back to Antioch in Pisidia, where they had been persecuted to the point they had to flee the city. So they go back to each of these cities where they'd ministered, each of these cities where they'd faced great opposition, and they once again minister for the Lord. You know, it would have been far easier for Paul and Barnabas to take another route home, wouldn't it? You, know, you look at a map, and where they are at Derby, it would be much easier just to go across land and come back down to Antioch in Syria. It would have been a far easier trip, a far easier direction to take. 
They would have avoided all of these cities, all of these locations where they were hated, basically, where they were chased away. But instead, we find that they deliberately retrace their steps. They deliberately go back along the same path that they originally took. And the reason is that they deemed the welfare of these new believers to be of far greater importance than their own. That's the reason they go back via these same locations. They're concerned about the believers, more concerned about them than they are about their own health and safety. And Luke now in the verses that follows records for us the purpose of this return journey. Firstly, here we see that they confirmed the believers. They confirmed the believers. Verse 22, it says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. The first thing we see them doing as they come to each of these cities we're told here that Paul and Barnabas are confirming the souls of the disciples. See, Paul and Barnabas understood that in each of these cities they just passed through, there's now new babes in Christ, isn't there? There's some new Christians, some ones who have accepted the truth. They've, they've converted to Christianity. They've gotten saved. And these new converts, they need to be established in the faith, don't they? They need someone to help them. I mean... Paul and Barnabas are the ones traveling around with this message. They've preached the message, been chased out of the city. Who's going to help these Christians now? Who's going to aid them? Who's going to build them up in the faith, establish them in the truth? See, preaching the gospel message and seeing converts was only part of the ministry, wasn't it? This is only part of the work. Paul and Barnabas understood that they had a responsibility to confirm these believers in the faith. You know, that's exactly what the Lord commanded when he gave his disciples the Great Commission. Just turn back there with me to Matthew 28. So verses we know well. Matthew 28. <clears throat> Verse 19. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now the Lord instructed his disciples here to do much more than just go and preach the gospel. He doesn't say just go to each location and preach the gospel and see people get saved. That was the start of the work. That was part of it. But they were also then instructed to teach all nations or make disciples. They were to build these ones who got saved up in the faith. Verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe all things. This is building them up, instructing them in the truth. You see, that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas are doing here on this return journey. They are teaching these believers all things, aren't they? They're teaching them. They're confirming them in the faith. Instructing them in the doctrine of God's word. So that they have a grounding to now stand upon. You know, these believers in each of these towns, you know, if they were left to themselves, they would have found it very hard to continue on for the Lord. You've got to remember, you know, this is the very first missionary journey, isn't it? 
So this is the very first time that these people have heard anything about the message. Some of them probably never even heard about Jesus, the Gentiles in particular. Very first time they've heard this message and they've got saved, Paul and Barnabas have been chased away. How are they going to know anything? How are they going to learn? They would have found it very hard to continue on for the Lord. They don't have a Bible. They don't have what we can leave. You know, we can leave someone with a Bible, can't we? They didn't have that. They would have found it very hard to continue on for the Lord. They would have felt pressure immediately, wouldn't they? Pressure from all around them to just give up this new way of life, this religion, and turn back. You know, if they were Jews, they would have immediately felt the pressure from their family, from their friends, to return back to the traditions of their fathers. You know, come back to the synagogue and start seeking to keep the law again, because that's what the Jews sought to do, wasn't it? To keep the law. And by the same token, the Gentiles who got and saved, they would have been under pressure to return to the pagan practices, to go back to their idol worship. So there would have been immense pressure upon these new believers. And Paul and Barnabas understood that. And that's why they're now returning to these cities and confirming these ones, grounding these ones in the faith. So these ones needed to be taught the doctrines of God's word. They needed to know God's word so they could defend it, so they could stand for it, so they could spread the truth. They were going to hold fast to the faith. They first needed to know what that faith was, didn't they? You know, this highlights for us the importance of discipleship, does it not? That's what it should highlight for us, the importance of discipleship in our ministry. See, it's not enough for us just to seek to make converts and win them for Christ. It's not enough to just, you know, get people to pray a prayer and get saved, and then we go, yep, they're done, let's move on to someone else. It's not enough to see them get saved. We must also then seek to confirm them in the faith to build them up, to teach them all things. You see, if we fail to do this, then we're leaving them vulnerable, aren't we? We're leaving them vulnerable to false doctrine. We're leaving them vulnerable to, to the attacks of the devil. We're leaving them vulnerable to be swallowed up by the world because we haven't taught them. We haven't helped them to gain an understanding, to learn the doctrines of God's word, confirm them in the faith. So we see Paul Manus, first of all, confirming the souls of the disciples. Secondly here, we see them exhorting them to continue in the faith. Verse 22 again, it says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we, much, uh, sorry, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So not only do we see them here confirming the souls of the disciples, but we also see them here exhorting them to continue in the faith. The word exhort here is the idea of encouraging. Okay? So they encouraged these believers to continue in the faith. Encourage these believers, if you like, to remain faithful. You know, the first bit there, confirming the souls of the disciples, that's all about instructing them, teaching them the doctrines of God's word, strengthening their knowledge of the truth. The exhorting here is all about encouraging them to continue no matter how hard it got. If you like, this is an appeal to their will, to their emotions, and the other ones to their intellect, okay? building their wisdom, their understanding. So they're encouraging them here to not turn back, to keep going forward. 
I said, is, you know, it's not going to be easy for these Christians in these cities, is it? You know, this is, these are the very same cities where Paul and Barnabas have been persecuted. Lystra, as I said, is where Paul was stoned. Iconium is where they were threatened with stoning. And Antioch, the, the ones there had chased them all the way, basically. They kept coming to each city afterwards, persecuting them. And now these believers in these cities, they're going to face opposition, aren't they? They're going to face persecution. And so Paul and Barnabas, not only were they instructing and teaching them, but they're encouraging them here. Encouraging them not to give up. To stand firm, to continue, persevere in the faith. You know, the same is true in our ministry today. You know, new believers not only need to be instructed, they not only need discipleship, but they also need encouragement, don't they? They need encouragement. Now, there is much opposition to the truth of God's word, much to discourage a new believer and cause them to turn back. You know, in a sense, at times, a new believer faces more opposition and they feel more opposition than a mature Christian does, don't they? Because, you know, they get saved and they maybe come from an unsaved family. And so their family is putting pressure on them, standing against them. There's opposition from their unsaved friends to go back to the way of life they were involved in beforehand. There's great pressure on new believers to forsake the truth and turn back. And beloved, like Paul and Barnabas, we need to encourage them. We need to get alongside them, encourage them in the faith. Encourage them to persevere in the knowledge that God's word is truth. You know, the best way we can encourage them is with God's word, isn't it? The best way we can encourage a fellow believer is with the promises of God's word. Now, promises like Hebrews 13 verse 5, where he says, For I, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's a great promise. The Lord is with us. He will protect us. He won't leave us. 1 Peter 5 verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You see, it's easy to become discouraged when you think you're all alone, isn't it? It's easy to become discouraged when you think you're going through this on your own. And when opposition comes, you think, I can't do it. When you understand God's with you and God cares, it strengthens and enables you to keep going forward, encourages you. You see, God is with us through it all. He's in control. You know, that's what Paul and Barnabas went on to explain to the people here. You see, at the end of verse 22 there, we read this. It says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas, how did they encourage them? They said, we must go through tribulation, persecution to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas make it clear, basically, to these believers. They say, persecution, opposition is to be expected. It's not unusual. You're not alone. You're not suffering on your own. You're not unique. God hasn't forgotten about you. It's not as if this is coming because God has forgotten. No, God cares. God is with you. And this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. You see, what these new believers was, were facing was not unique. And Paul and Barnabas wanted them to understand this. You know, the we in this verse is very interesting, isn't it? Okay, it says there, um, and that we must... Who's writing this? Luke's writing this. So Luke's including himself here, isn't he? 
He's saying we must. You see, it's all of us. Paul and Barnabas, Luke, all of us are included in this word we here. It's a fact for all believers that we will face tribulation. We will face persecution, opposition in this life. As we've studied the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, we've seen the affliction, haven't we? We've seen them suffer every step of the way. And it's not because God's not with them. God is with them. It's that it's part of the ministry. It's part of the work. See, Paul and Barnabas could identify with these believers, couldn't they? They could say, you're not alone. We've been through this. Just like you're suffering, just like you're facing persecution, opposition, we've faced it. And they encourage them here to endure to continue knowing that God is in control and that the reward is the kingdom of heaven. That's the reward, the kingdom of heaven. It will be worth it all. You know, as believers today, this is something we all need to understand, isn't it? That we will suffer for his name. It is a reality in some form. One way or another, we will suffer opposition, persecution. In some way, we'll face something. You know, Christ told his disciples in John 15 and verse 18, he said, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. See, the reality is the world will hate us because it hated Christ. That's that's a reality. So we shouldn't get upset when the world doesn't like us. That's a fact, isn't it? And the world doesn't like us. We read it all the time in the newspapers. They're always bagging out Christians. They're always against us. And that's a reality. Christ said the rejection would be part of being his disciples. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Again, it's a fact, isn't it? It's a reality. If we live godly, if we live for him, we will suffer. Persecution, rejection, opposition. It's something we will face as believers. You see, therefore, we need to, with courage, continue forward and not turn back. And we need to encourage others as well. As I said, new Christians, they're going to face that same opposition, aren't they? And so we need to get alongside them, like Paul and Barnabas, and encourage them to continue. Don't become discouraged. Don't think God's forsaken you. Keep pressing, pressing on. Continue in the faith knowing that it's part of God's plan and it will be worth it all, won't it? Because the kingdom of heaven, that's the reward, spending the eternity with him. The third thing we see them doing here is they ordained elders or established churches. Verse 23 now it says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. The third thing we see them doing here on this return journey is establishing local churches with leadership. So they confirmed the believers, they grounded them in the faith, they encouraged them, and then they established churches with leadership. We're told here they ordained elders in every church. Now we've seen it before, but the office of the elder mentioned here is the same as the office of bishop and pastor. Three titles for the same office. Let's just turn quickly to Titus chapter 1. Verse 
Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, For this cause left I the increase, thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. In verse 5 there, we're, we're told that we're talking about elders, and then in verse 7, we're talking about bishops, because the words are used interchangeably. We're talking about the same office. And of course, we're talking about here the qualifications of the pastor, the shepherd of God's people. So all three titles, pastor, elder, bishop, they're all referring to the same office within the church. And that's what's happening here. Paul and Barnabas are establishing pastors for these local assemblies. Making sure that these local assemblies have leadership. Have someone to now teach them and instruct them. You know, really, this was the ultimate purpose of their missionary journey, wasn't it? The ultimate purpose of their missionary endeavor was to establish new local churches. And these local churches could then further the work in that place. The work, local church could then do the work while Paul and Barnabas went home. They could then continue the work of the Lord, continue to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. Which, of course, is the purpose of the church, isn't it? Perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they couldn't always be with these new groups of believers, could they? They couldn't stay with them. They had to keep doing what God had called them to do, their missionary work. So these local churches needed leaders, godly leaders, spiritual leaders, who could continue the work. Now, without leadership, these local churches would have quickly died. They wouldn't have stayed long. They wouldn't have stood long without leadership. They needed someone to take the lead spiritually, someone to teach them and instruct them, someone to feed the flock of God. Paul and Barnabas, they understood this need. And so we see them here ordaining elders in every church. The word ordained here carries the idea of electing by the showing of hands. An interesting word. That's where it's originally from. It originally meant electing by the showing of hands. And so it's possible that what Paul and Barnabas did here in each church is similar to what took place in Acts chapter 6 with the selecting of the deacons. Let's just turn back there. Acts chapter 6. And we'll read from verse 1. It says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a great murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and in the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. In Acts chapter 6 here, of course, we looked at it a while ago, we have the selecting of the deacons for the church. 
what we see here is that the church members, okay, the, the apostles instruct the church to select out from among them seven men of honest report, men who, who fulfill these qualifications, you know, these men who are men of faith, men who are sp- have spiritual insight, men who have wisdom. And that's exactly what the church do. The church selects these men. And they bring them before the apostles who lay hands on them and appoint them to the office of deacon. And so we see that the church members had a, had a vote, didn't they? They had a, a part in that. And it may be that a similar thing happens here with each local church looking out for a, a man or for men who were qualified and then Paul and Barnabas appoint them to the ministry, to the office. It's also possible that it's the other way around, that Paul and Barnabas may have recommended who they thought was right for the ministry and the church voted to have that person appointed to the office. It could be either way. And either way, it's not really wrong, is it? Either way, there's a looking for the someone who's qualified for the ministry and the church people are voting about that, voting to, to appoint them to that ministry, to that office, recognizing that that, that person is qualified in the eyes of God for that ministry and so either way these men are ordained and appointed to the office of elder the office of pastor by the showing of hands and they're they're put into this office for the purpose of shepherding god's people aren't they that's why paul and barnabas are doing this so that each of these local churches now has a shepherd has someone to lead them has someone to feed them ephesians 4 verse 11 and 12 tells us that these men are in the office for the perfecting of the saints and the edifying of the body of Christ. Just turn there, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's the reason all these offices were given to the church. It's the reason for the pastor, the elder. It's to lead the flock. It's to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ. And that's what these men were appointed to do in the absence of Paul and Barnabas. So these churches could go forward and be effective in their community. And having appointed these men as pastors, as elders in these churches to take the leadership, We're told that Paul and Barnabas now pray for them and commit them to the Lord. Verse 23 there it says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord and whom they believed. They pray for them now and commit them to the Lord. You know, in leaving each of these churches and moving on, they were entrusting the care of that local church now to that man, weren't they? Or to those men, if there was a couple appointed. They were entrusting the care of those local churches to those men and indeed to the Lord. Under the leadership of those men, those churches would now go forward. You know, this is really the goal of any missionary endeavor, isn't it? To establish local churches that are pastored by local men. That's what Paul and Barnabas are doing here, isn't it? You know, evangelism, evangelism is essential. As we said earlier, on its own, it's never enough, is it? It's never enough just to see people get saved. Local churches must be established so that the saints might grow and continue in the work of the Lord. Now, I was thinking about this week, you know, as we look at the the missionaries that we support, 
we can see them doing this, can't we? You know, the Kaufmans in particular came to my mind this week as I was thinking about this passage. You know, they're, they're starting their third work, aren't they? In another new town, another new location. And the other two works are in the hands of local men who have been ordained to the ministry. That's wonderful to see, isn't it? It's wonderful to, to see that happening because that's what missionaries is supposed to do. That's what missions is all about. It's the purpose of missions. It's the purpose of Paul and Barnabas' work here. And it's the ultimate purpose of missions today. It's the establishing of churches under the leadership of local men to continue the work of the Lord. And fourthly and lastly now, we see that they report home. Paul and Barnabas now report home. Let's just read from verse 24. It says, And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Atalaia. And thence they sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come, and they gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. The last thing we see them doing now is returning to Antioch in Syria and reporting on the work that has taken place. They come back to the church that sent them out. The church that originally commissioned them to the work. Verse 26, it says, And they thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God. This was the church that sent them forth. This was the church that commissioned them to the ministry. And they come back now to report on the work. Now, by the time they arrive back in Antioch, they've been gone at least a year, possibly even longer. You know, it must have been an exciting time when Paul and Barnabas walked into the church and gave their report to the believers. It must have been an exciting time to hear of what God had done. See, Paul and Barnabas, by the grace of God, had fulfilled the work they'd set out to do. It's the end of verse 26 there. It says, recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. They had fulfilled the work, hadn't they? They fulfilled the task they'd set out to do. And now Paul and Barnabas get the chance to share with the believers the blessings of God. To share what God has done. In verse 27, we're told that they re- rehearse all that God has done. It says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he'd opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. You know, basically, Paul and Barnabas now re- relate to them everything that we looked at in chapter 13 and 14. Everything that we've looked at in the past three messages of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, they now share this with the local church. They share how God has brought them to each of these cities and how God gave them the grace and gave them the opportunity to preach and teach and how people got saved and particularly how God opened a door unto the Gentiles. I'm sure they also shared with the people the persecution too. Shared the opposition and how God had delivered them, God had protected them and brought them safely home again. You know, we can only imagine the joy and the rejoicing that these believers must have felt at hearing this news. You've got to remember, they don't have email. They don't have phones. They sent Paul and Barnabas out and they've probably heard nothing since. 
They've heard nothing. They don't know where Paul and Barnabas are. They don't know how safe they are or how successful they've been until Paul and Barnabas arrive back in Antioch and they report on the work. You know, basically what we have here is Paul and Barnabas, the first missionaries, coming home on furlough. That's what we have here, isn't it? They come home on furlough to report on the work. Verse 28, it says, And there they abode long time with the disciples. They come back and they spend some time with the local church, reporting on the ministry. You know, once again here we see a pattern for missions today, don't we? You know, Paul and Barnabas reported home. And this is why our missionaries send us prayer letters, to report home on the work, to inform us of the ministry, the blessings, the opposition, and what's taking place so we can pray for them, so we can have a part in the work. Indeed, it's why they come back on furlough too, isn't it? So they can come back and they can visit the churches that support them and report. So that we can learn of what God has been doing in them and through them on the mission field. You know, really, the passage before us this morning, it gives us a pattern for the work of missions, doesn't it? It's really what it does. It gives us really an outline of how the missionary work should take place. How it's about much more than just evangelizing the lost. There must be a work of confirming the souls of the believers. There must be discipleship, teaching, instructing, grounding people in the word of God. There must also be the exhorting of believers to continue in the faith, encouraging them to keep going forward and not turn back no matter the opposition. There must be also the establishment of local churches with local men, local pastors to shepherd the flock. And finally, there needs to be a reporting back home. It's really a, a guideline, isn't it, for missions? This passage before us. This is what missions is all about. And it's what any missionary that's sent out is sent out to do. You know, as I was thinking about it, you know, even at home, we're missionaries here too, aren't we? We're missionaries to our valley. And the first two points definitely apply to us. They definitely apply to us here in this location. You know, we are to seek to do much more than just evangelize the lost. Have a greater purpose. Yes, we need to get them saved, but then we need to disciple them, confirm them, teach them, so they might mature and might become strong in the faith. And beloved, we also need to seek to encourage them. Encourage them to continue in the faith. Get alongside those new believers. Get alongside them and aid them, help them. And indeed encourage one another too. We all need encouragement, don't we? To continue in the faith. And the wonderful knowledge that God is in control. God has a plan, God has a purpose. You know, persecution, opposition, it's all part of being a Christian. As we said earlier, we'll be worth it all in the end when we see Christ one day. We see him in the kingdom. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. Lord, we've looked at it over the last uh, four messages, this, this journey, the, the things that took place along the way. Lord, this morning we've seen what they did on the return journey, Lord, the confirming of believers, the encouraging of believers, establishing of churches and reporting back home. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that this is the work of missions. Lord, that even in this place, Lord, we have a work of missions to do to our community. 
Lord, may we do much more than just uh, preach the gospel. May we seek to disciple those who get saved, encourage those who get saved so they might continue on for you. Lord, may you help us to encourage one another as well. Let's remember these truths now, bless as we close. In Jesus' name we pray.